the, the, the promise or the hope is that we have an interoperable world with a set of standards that you know most people adhere to, which is safe and secure, pleasant. If we can keep it open and interoperable, then more organizations, more individuals, more communities can also participate in a trusted world. And that's why we're all working very hard to create an open, interoperable, trusted metaverse. Hello and welcome to the Digital Irish Podcast, a podcast all about celebrating Irish innovation and Irish innovators globally. I'm your host, Dave Byrne. Hello, everyone. If you're a regular listener, welcome back to the podcast. If you are not, thank you for listening in for the first time. On today's episode, we speak to Edwina Fitzmaurice, who is EY's Global Chief Customer Success Officer. Edwina is somebody who is not only exceptionally knowledgeable, but always looking to the future to see what's next, what's new, what's going to be different. Aside from that, she is also passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has some amazing insights into how the metaverse can be built with inclusion in mind. She is also thinking about how it can be constructed to be open, that people can connect with it in a more seamless way while at the same time staying safe in the metaverse. We thought that Edwina would be a perfect person to hear from about the opportunities that are still ahead and um, how we overcome some of the potential challenges. Truly fascinating. I could have spoken to Edwina for hours about this topic. I'm just going to drop you right in the interview. Edwina, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Delighted to be here, Dave. Looking forward to the conversation. So you've actually spoken in person to the Digital Irish group before. So I feel like that this is a great follow-on for those who were there in person. To give context for the folks that weren't at that Digital Irish event, you're a thought leader advisor for many partners on the metaverse. You know, with your expertise, I'm really excited to have this conversation. What was the moment that you saw the transformational opportunity of the metaverse? It started for me, I mean... I don't know, I'm going to say almost 20 years ago, I was an early user of what we would now call a metaverse world called Second Life, which was exactly that. You created an avatar and you you ran a second life. So I've been tracking this for some time and I suppose I've been working with the blockchain for eight to 10 years as well. But it's really recently that this has really come to the fore. How that happened for me in terms of going mainstream was you know, just as the pandemic hit, I was working on a big you know technology implementation. I'm the Chief Product Officer and the Head of Customer Success here at EY globally. We were working on a big SAP implementation and normally we would have teams of people, you know, in the offices of our clients at the factories with our clients helping with that go live. But nobody was allowed to go into the buildings because of the pandemic. So we started looking at how can we monitor what's going on in the factories be there without actually physically going into the building. So we started really looking at the metaverse, VR. It really hit me hard at that point that the future of work is going to be in a game. And because those gaming technologies, the the likes of Unity and Unreal that run these metaverse worlds or the blockchain are great ways to create other worlds, create digital twins of these factories that we were trying to build or offices. We could see how people could collaborate. We could do training. We could have meetings. And we could have people together while they were all working from home, but had that sense of presence. And that really started me on that track. We started recruiting heavily in terms of people from a gaming background, designers. Um, and we've now set up our EY Metaverse Labs, which is uh, you know a $50 million investment over three years. But we have about 400 people already working in this. And that's really you know exploded in the last two years. You mentioned a couple of things. Firstly, Second Life which was around quite some time ago. And then the fact that a lot of the implementation work that you've been working on has been happening during the pandemic. Oftentimes, whenever I hear of the metaverse, it sometimes comes across as something coming in the future. 
but it seems very present at the moment. Is the metaverse something that we should be thinking of as part of everyday life? Yeah, there are, you know, three billion people um, who are in worlds like this already. And that's really coming from the gaming community, which is actually, you know, bigger than music industry and the movie industry put together, okay, in terms of revenue. So it is already happening, but it's happening in pieces. So what you're seeing is, you know, it's like having a very high-end car, you know, in your driveway, but it's in pieces. It hasn't quite come together yet. So there's a few things that are actually stopping the metaverse being as mainstream as, say, the internet is right now today. And that's because, first of all, the equipment is not ready yet and isn't available. So metaverse is a 3D experience of the internet. It, it's a, it puts us into 3D worlds, either through virtual reality, where we are fully immersed in these worlds, or augmented reality, where you know you have glasses on, but you can see the real world, but there's digital overlays and digital assets and digital people and digital bots going around in the, in the real world. The glasses that support that, you know, this could be the year of the glasses. They're expecting to see a number of announcements from tech companies this year. And with that, we'll start to see, you know, app stores being built, applications coming online, and we would expect to see that really start to move. So that's one of the, the big things that's actually stopping it going mainstream. And the other one is that interoperability doesn't work between these worlds. So there's many metaverse worlds at the moment, but if you have an avatar in one world, it doesn't work in the other. If you have a digital asset in one world, you can't bring it to the next world. So if you think about the internet today, why it's so great is because we can go from website to website and there's no friction in that. We just bounce around the internet. You can't bounce around the metaverse at the moment. Lots of people are working on that because without that interoperability, it's going to be hard for the metaverse to be mainstream. There's too much, too much difficulty in logging on and logging off and setting yourself up. So all of that needs to to be solved and move away from what we have today, um, which is each world exists on its own. That's often called a closed garden. Um, so you're kind of trapped inside one world and to get out to another, it takes quite a bit of effort. So that needs to get solved too. So not quite here yet, but it's coming. All the elements are there, all the building blocks are there. And there's massive investment going on um, across the tech industry to, to make it happen. So I think it's coming, it's just a matter of time. Do you know what's funny? When you were talking there, I thought of, um, and I'm going to embarrass my wife here, but like one of the things that she talks about whenever she has to log into a website, if they don't offer her like the Google login where you can just kind of say sign in with Google, she just stops bothering. She literally hey. just cuts out of the website because she's like, oh, I don't want to put in my email and a new password and everything else. Is that kind of like single login? Is that one of those barriers to kind of <laughs> bring those gardens together? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, there's that. Single login is not available. But beyond that, if you, you know, people get invested in their avatars. I don't know if you have one, day. I have a number of them in these worlds. And you get kind of attached to them. You know, you're going around, you're visiting worlds, you're meeting other people. You know, I, I particularly like the fashion industry, which is one of the leading industries in this world. So I actually am a creator. I create fashion items. I have my own clothing line in the metaverse now. Um, but I also buy clothing for avatars um, that I have. And so, you know, other people in games, they buy, you know, equipment, shields. You know, there's a lot of shoot 'em up games in the metaverse. You know, so people buy all sorts of equipment, shields, guns. Or you can't bring them from one world to another. So if you're investing in this world and having digital assets, um, if you've made those investments, you want to be able to take them with you from one place to another. And that's not possible today. Now, there is a group called the Metaverse Standards Forum. It's about two and a half thousand, well, 2,200 companies from the industry working across that, everything from, you know, the companies with avatars, the companies with platforms, the companies with the glasses, everybody who has an interest in this. Plus end users, the objective is to get all of that interoperability working um, and doing it in the right way as well so that, you know, assets are protected, the world's work. Without that, it's going to be difficult. You know, one thing you mentioned there is about getting it right. I'd love to use that as like a, a pivot point here because, you know, you mentioned that everybody has avatars from people that are like yourself that are interested in fashion and people that are interested in shoot 'em ups like it's a it's a wide spectrum getting it right indicates that you need to make sure that uh, you're building an inclusive metaverse where 
everybody feels like they they can participate. Inclusivity is a big passion for you as well outside of just the metaverse. So I'd love to bring the two of those together and get your thoughts on what does building an inclusive metaverse look like? Yeah, Dave, you know, I do feel really strongly about this. And particularly now as the metaverse is moving away from being games, it's not a shoot 'em up game anymore. It's how we work. It's how we live. It's how we will get government services. It's how we will experience schools. Schools will move to this world. Colleges, healthcare is already going this direction. So it goes beyond, well, this is just some kind of game. This is how we, we you know, consume products and services in the real world. Um, are now being taken into this world. So it's getting kind of pretty serious that we build the kind of worlds that we all want to live and work and play and learn in um, and get our healthcare in and get our services in. So we take this really, I mean, really seriously. So we've been looking at kind of what kind of worlds do we want? And, you know, when you're building out these worlds, one of the things that I observe is that there's a very typical kind of development group um, that is doing the work and, you know, the tech industry has a lot of men in it, and that's great. But, you know, we do need to see full spectrum, full diversity of teams so that we get the everybody's going to be living in these worlds. So we want everybody to have a role. So we put DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion very strongly into all of our work and our client work. Um, and you really we really have to think about this up front. So, you know, what would the metaverse look like? What inputs are we getting from you know, obviously the kind of groups that you would expect, women, people of color, um, you know, the disabled, right? Um, people with access- accessibility or disabilities, people with different cultural backgrounds, the LGBTQ community, all of that. How, how does everybody get a voice and get to be part of the design? So we're very intentional with the teams that we put together and we have that kind of complete diversity. We've also got a program in place with. Uh, the new museum in New York, where we have an artist in residence program, and we're working with other artists around Europe and Asia as well. Um, and we're really leaning in hard to understand and to experiment and drive a conversation and build worlds with that in mind. So, for example, we're working with an artist called Josie Williams, and she's very, um, you know, her passion is all around, um, you know, black, the black community. And she has been working with us to build out an AI, artificial intelligence um, series of um, bots, which have been trained with, um, you know, legendary, significant black figures. And these figures are, these bots are kind of, have been learning what these, you know, these legendary figures feel and think about the world and we're executing you know that she's she's decided to put that together as masks and we're bringing that to the metaverse so we'll be showing that at south by southwest where people can come into the metaverse world they can engage and talk to these masks they can ask questions and what it does is just really inform us about what a world would look like and and be like and feel like um when you have that you know very strong um, input we've also done work um one of our interns actually uh, was very passionate uh, about the Latinx community. And we worked with her over the summer um, to build out a world, you know, which had all the sort of symbols and, um, you know, colors, shapes, everything that would make sense and that would signal to her a sense of belonging uh, for the Latinx community. And what would a world look like for that? And that was really fascinating. What it really, all of these inputs really helped to to inform us about these worlds. Um, we, we've worked with, we have a whole series of, of musicians um, that we're working with, including Reaps One, who is a beatboxer. And we've been working with him, again, to build a, a digital twin um, of his voice um, using artificial intelligence and bots. And again, you can interact. He can now beatbox with his twin and they're creating new music together. And we're able to demonstrate that in these worlds. Now, in addition to that, so, so that's really important. We're trying to take it from everybody's point of view. But we also have quite a large neurodiversity team. We have about, I have about 40 people across my, my group in the world who have a neurodiverse, um, are from the neurodiverse community. And so that's very interesting as well to say, what would that look like? How does that feel for them? Um, and, and getting that input up front is very important. So I think you have to be intentional about this. It's not something that... Um, 
it's not something that comes naturally to groups unless you are intentional about asking. And so I'm, I'm a real advocate for, you know, make the table bigger, bring more people to this discussion, bring more people into your development teams, bring them into the design up front, listen to everybody. Um, and actually it's fascinating and so rewarding to see the creativity and imagination and just the better outcomes that we're getting. So I'm really excited about that program. I could talk about this all day. It's amazing to hear, though, and I can really feel your enthusiasm coming through it. And it really does sound like then as well that it's not just, a, you know, to your point about almost increasing the size of the table. It's it's not just increasing the ability to make fe people feel connected in, in the metaverse. It, it really does sound like it's making the work that you're doing so much more creative and so much more vibrant. It's fantastic to hear. It actually is. It is so much fun. Like you learn so much by doing this because what the metaverse is, is a visual expression of things that we don't normally get to see. Uh, you know, I've never had the opportunity to see the world, a world that would be created from a Latinx perspective. I've never seen that before. It's fascinating. I mean, it was it was wonderful. It was it was colorful. It was vibrant. You know, the shapes the shapes of the buildings, everything was just so fascinating to see. And, you know, we're also working with people with disabilities and, you know, working, we're working with Sean Horn, she's a brilliant, brilliant, um, you know, social media influencer. She's an advocate for disability. She's a wonderful woman, passionate about, um, you know, advocating for people with accessibility issues. And, you know, we've been really working with her site. So, Shan, because this is the hard question, right? Shan, you know, is on sticks. She's cerebral palsy. She also needs a wheelchair on, on occasions. And she, um, but we say, Shan, what does the world need to be for you? And she's really open about it. She says, sometimes I want to fly. I want to be able to run and fly. And I want to be a bird. And it's so empowering and fun for her to be able to, you know, move at speed around these worlds. She said, but other times I want to show up as myself. I, I need, I want to be, I want my avatar to have my sticks. I want my avatar to be able to go around in a wheelchair. I want to be myself and I'm proud to be myself. And there has to be a space for people with disabilities to be able to show up as themselves as well. So as we think about designing, you know, our avatars, as we think about putting these worlds together, we have such a rich landscape of input to create the kind of world that we don't have today because it allows Sean to have that freedom. Um, it allows her to be actually any, anybody she wants to be. And that's one of the fun things about this. You can, you can play around with your identity, which is very, I think also a lot of fun and very empowering for people. Um, so there's a lot of upside in this if we get it right. And you'll hear me saying that all the time, if we get it right, there's plenty of downsides too. So, you know, you have to take a balanced approach to these things. But, um, yeah, we're certainly excited by it. And so, so are our clients. We're very busy uh, with work across pretty much all industries now looking and experimenting. It's really fascinating. I think that's the example that you gave there is such an interesting one, because obviously building an inclusive metaverse also means like, uh, making sure that you're building for users with disabilities. I'm also thinking of, building for users who, you know, may not have had access before to, you know, web 1.0 and web uh, 2.0. You know, when I, when I, uh, you know, uh, I was, I was in Southeast Asia a while ago where I was speaking to people who were working in tech who had never owned a laptop or a desktop computer. They literally did everything through their phone or through like gaming consoles. So yeah. Like as as you're building, like how are we thinking about maybe those those markets and communities who have maybe been previously overlooked, um, like those people who who never actually had a laptop to begin with? Yeah, I think this is a a really fascinating area, and I did a briefing for a number of emerging markets countries recently about this. Actually, um, so. We haven't touched on a, on a topic really here, which is behind a lot of these metaverse worlds, there's another disruption going on, which is Web3. And that's, that is the blockchain. And if you think about, you know, what does that do? The internet 
connects us all. It's free, it's permissionless, it's not owned by anybody. And so it's available to everybody in the world. And that has caused just massive change and massive disruption um, to people around the world. So you just need a smartphone or a gaming console or a laptop, whatever you have to get into the internet and you can participate. What the blockchain does is put a transaction processing system behind all of that. And again, it's permissionless. It doesn't, it's not owned by anybody. Everybody has access to a ledger. Everybody has access to, to this, this, this world of trade and commerce that's become available on the internet. The internet itself has become a trading platform because of the blockchain. Now, what that actually does is open up incredibly different opportunities for people, as long as you have any access to the internet through your phone, your laptop, whatever it is, um, you can now participate in a Web3 world. And Web3 means, you know, it's typically decentralized. It's owned by the community rather than big tech companies because the, the blockchain allows, allows all the processing to be, to be decided by the people who are, are building the smart contracts, as they're called, which is how these blockchains work. Um, and so you can decentralize power, you can decentralize control. Creators can build things and monetize them easily and cheaply um, through this, this ledger. Um, now, we're at an early stage in that. And of course, there's very sophisticated users. And we've seen, you know, the fintech community take off and all the cryptocurrencies and all of that. Now, so you can get to the very sophisticated end of it. And we've seen also some of the crashes around that and the problems around that. But for ordinary people, this is a game changer. Um, you know, once it becomes easier to use, and again, we're at an early stage. So I'm very excited about that. I think, I think it, you know, allows people to have a business set it up at very, um, you know, affordable rates, practically free if you know how to do it. Um, participate in a metaverse world where you can actually have showrooms and offices and buildings, even if you're sitting in a village in an emerging markets country, you can you can create a world that you want and can look like anything you want. So you can take away a lot of the bias that goes on sometimes for for you know people who are trying to build businesses in disadvantaged areas. They can build something that looks whatever they want it to look like. They can fit in, make it look like anything they want. And they have a transaction processing system and their creations can be monetized directly. And so that's very disruptive. So I'm excited about that. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, perhaps being able to leapfrog um, and get, become participants in this new economy that's emerging, the creator economy um, that's coming with the metaverse and Web3. And I think that's really exciting. There's a lot of people looking at that. It really does sound so exciting. It, it's phenomenal just to see, like, with decentralization, how many opportunities this really opens for people. Um, you know, one thing that I'm thinking of as as more and more people come into this space, and as like we diversify who's there. You know, the one thing that I I keep on thinking of is about. Um, how different just cultures and communities interact and like those cultural nuances. Um, because one thing I'm acutely aware of is you've kept on mentioning that, you know, the metaverse is going to be the workspace. It's going to be an area that people can play, connect and everything else. It's going well beyond what, you know, social media platforms are doing at the moment. Now, social media platforms have kind of community guidelines, of course, where they say, hey, like no hate speech, no certain types of content. But it almost feels like with the level of interaction that is going to be happening in the metaverse and with so many people coming from such diverse cultures that we may need to almost like think about the unwritten social rules and norms um, in the metaverse to create a welcoming environment for all these people, will some of these like social norms have to become part of like the terms of service or the community guidelines before people can engage with the community? Yeah, I think this is just, you're on such a good point here, Dave. This is essential. Um, if you think about this world, these worlds, it's, it's, it can amplify the absolute worst of the internet, chat rooms, hate speech, harassment, abuse, um, and, that, and that is going on, okay? There's already 
you know, cases in the courts about sexual harassment in the metaverse. Um, and there's a lot of children in here. And so there's a great deal of concern about that amplification. And the idea, you know, we talked, you can show up as anybody you want, and that's great. The difficulty is if you're showing up as a bad actor um, targeting children, that's very scary and dangerous. And so people are genuinely really concerned about this. So, you know, I'm on the World Economic Forum, actually the Global Futures Council for the Future of the Metaverse. And that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at, you know, among others, um, safety, security, privacy, and what rules need to be put in place. Um, the Metaverse Standards Forum is working on this. But additionally, you know, governments uh, legislation needs to come into play. There has to be trust in this world. And there have to be rules. So I think governments have a big role to play, and that's welcome. You know, as an industry, we're talking about how do we engage with government early um, and not wait for it all to be a complete disaster. We don't have we know it's coming, we can see it coming. So we don't have to wait until it all happens. Why don't we get ahead of that now and create work with governments on the kind of regulations that would make sense? We're also, you know, calling on boards of directors and um you know, leadership teams of companies who are involved in this to set codes of conduct and to put in place monitoring and to deal with things swiftly. I mean, some of these big metaverse worlds have thousands of people paid and employed to monitor behavior. And even then, and they bots, and even then bad behavior goes on. So it's really incumbent on all of us. Plus, you know, we need to talk to parent groups and we need to talk to, you know, groups who are concerned about privacy and groups who are concerned about safety and security and give them a seat at the table early so that we build the kind of worlds that we want without trust nobody wants to nobody wants to hang around an abusive environment it will not work if if it if there's a lack of trust a lack of if it becomes really unpleasant um it just won't work so these are essential and i've been surprised you know i've been talking about this at a lot of conferences i speak on this topic I've been surprised at the industry's reaction, which is not to put, you know, there's no pushback to say, you know, governance and regulation stops innovation. Nobody's saying that. Everybody is, is agreeing. We must get this solved and quickly um, before it takes off, um, you know, really in the mainstream, which I think is going to be sort of five to 10 years out. So, so a lot of people, as I said, working on that and we need to get that right. I remember reading a, a report from like the Wharton Business School a while ago as well, where um, social media platforms, the, the ones that invested the most in moderation and making sure that they were building a responsible media platform actually saw greater returns in regards to user engagement and um, an actual revenue then because more advertisers also saw it as a good place for their brand to be. Um, it, it sounds it, it sounds like that this is something that for folks that are in the world of developing the metaverse, that this is something that they should keep in mind. It's like, hey, if you want great engagement, like make sure you have the systems in place to make sure that people feel safe and connected when they when they initially join, you know? Precisely. Yeah. Trust is trust is like currency. If you have it, you you have a chance to be successful. Without it, people will abandon you. So, you know, it is so important for businesses. And, and, and that's why I think there is a great deal of interest in this. And people know that. We have learned some of the lessons of the past, I will say. Um, you know, I think when we were, you know, all working on the internet in the early days, nobody really saw all of these trouble coming. But we've seen it now and we know what works and what doesn't. And your point about, you know, trust and safety matters to people and they vote with their feet where they get that. They participate where they don't. They, they exit. So it makes commercial sense as well as everything else. A quick pause in today's podcast to let you know that the Digital Irish are going to be doing live events in London and New York this spring and summer. So if you're in New York or London, please do check out www.digitalirish.com for more information about those events. You can sign up to our mailing list. You can also email hello at digitalirish.com if you're looking to get involved or if you want more information. But do keep an eye out for those events. 
We're really excited to see people in person and to bring you inspiration from some of Ireland's innovators, creators, and entrepreneurs. Hope to see you there. Now back to the interview. Actually, one thing I wanted to call back to is you actually uh, mentioned a term, uh, the digital twin. Um, that's actually something that I, I, I find very interesting. But for folks who may not be familiar with what a digital twin is, would you mind giving a very quick explanation of what that means? Uh, well, a digital twin is a copy of something. So uh, in, in the metaverse world, in digital form. So, it, it, you know, a lot of times when people are talking about digital twins, they're talking about a copy of a building, a copy of a factory. Digital twins in, in manufacturing are very popular so you take an exact copy of the factory you can then walk into or or you know an oil rig somewhere where there's equipment that is difficult expensive dangerous you take a copy you put it into the metaverse you can actually operate all of the equipment from the metaverse without ever need to physically go into the room so you've copied that you've control of the equipment but i think what's more interesting for me is the digital twin of ourselves and its people so you know every day we are you know, we are a data set, you know, and we all know, you know, are you accepting the cookies that we've got here? People are tracking our data, everything we're clicking, everything we're looking at, everything we're doing, and we're giving up our data. So there's a full data set about us out there, a digital twin. And if you can imagine taking that digital twin and actually being able to see it, you turn it into an avatar and you say, oh, that's all the data. And that's what, that's everything about me in this kind of presence. And this is what I look like. This is what I, you know, this is where I live and all the data about me. Um, and you can have a wallet, you know, a, a blockchain wallet that has all of your financial data that's also out there and stored everywhere, right? Um, and so between these two kind of characters, these two experiences, you can actually see your digital twin. And what I think is really interesting about that is for the first time, maybe we can start to control it. So we tend to give away our data all the time. In fact, we do. We are a generation, and maybe the last generation, or maybe we're two generations away from giving our data away for free. Our digital twin is probably one of the most powerful and valuable assets that we have over a lifetime. And, and right now we, we give it away freely. In the future, I don't believe that will be true. I, I've already, already seen you know, different mechanisms using the blockchain, using different you know, schemes, um, to actually set it up, set up a, a world, a way of working on the internet through the metaverse and blockchain, where that digital twin, that avatar, the wallet that we have, is paid micropayments every time um, it interacts with the world. So instead of us being monetized for our data, we charge for our data. We charge for the use of our data and the wealth creation that is, you know, given from companies having our data, reselling it using advertising to target us, we get a share of that. And I think that's really powerful. Um, it's very disruptive. It's very disruptive to business. Um, if we start to own our digital twins, um, but personally for me, I can't see a future where, you know, if that's possible, I think there's going to be a lot of demand for that. And it is possible because we're starting to see that already. It's a lot of experimentation and activity going on there too. So I think that's really exciting and different. Um, and that will disrupt business. It's really fascinating to hear. I I just I feel like that we could talk for hours just on that and that alone. Um, but you know, you know, just thinking about like the 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 positive impacts that this can have on on people's lives. Like you mentioned earlier, of course, like um, the person with disabilities who wanted to feel represented, but also wanted to experience what it like to fly and all of these other things. Um, you know, when I think of social media, we often hear of research about negative impacts to mental health because of the pressure to show off an unrealistic or a curated version of your life. Um, is, the, is the metaverse flipping the script? Is, is the metaverse giving people the opportunity to show up whomever as they want to show up as and feel confident in showing up as, as they want to be? Um, like, is is this going to have more positive impacts on mental health? I think, you know, I think that's a great question. And, and the answer is some and some. I think there are huge, hugely interesting, positive 
um, opportunities with the metaverse. So typically when people set themselves up, first they, they build a, an avatar, they build a representation of themselves that looks like themselves. And they kind of do that for a while. And then relatively quickly, people will start to think, well, who else could I be? And one of the things we encourage people to do is to create an avatar of the person you are on the inside. And that's something that people don't typically think about. Who am I on the inside? And it could be that, you know, you're working in an office and you're mom or dad, or you're going about your day-to-day -day work, or you're working in a store, factory, wherever you are. But, you know, maybe you are an artist on the inside. Maybe you are a different gender on the inside. Maybe you are an astronaut on the inside. Maybe you're a writer, you know. And so people being able to express their their other selves, um, I think is you just see a lot of actually relief and creativity and people are having a lot of, um, it kind of opens up worlds for people. Um, and I think that's a really powerful, powerful idea. But I would say, you know, you mentioned the word mental health. The downside of, of the, the metaverse um, is that there is, like everything else, it, it's highly engaging and you're immersed in it. Um, it can also be highly addictive. I mean, a lot there's a lot of gaming um, techniques that are used, you know, leveling up rewards and so on. And people um, can find themselves, typically they're spending three to four times as much time on, in here than they are on social media. Um, so it's a very compelling world. In fact, a lot of the younger generation are moving to these worlds and moving off social media. So we have to be careful about addiction and mental health issues. And, and you know, as I said, bullying, safety, security, that, that's all going to happen as well. So there's, there are real concerns about mental health and being able to use any technology has an upside and a downside. And, you know, the downsides here could be quite profound. In some countries, for example, in China, they've limited the amount of time um, that any particular user can stay on. In, in these worlds, you're basically instructed the companies to bounce people out um, so that they're not on it for too long. Um, so that's one way of controlling it, but you know that won't be ex acceptable in other countries. Um, so you know we're going to have to come up with ways to think about this. It is, it is a, a balancing act. Uh, absolutely um it's it, it's going to be very interesting to see because obviously you know the metaverse itself is uh is, is so broad in its scope i mean you know you can work there you can game there you can connect there socially and i think like like every technology there as you mentioned the upsides and downsides it's like it, it's also really dependent on how you utilize it it's like hey if you're spending four hours a day in there working and, you know, building a, or educating yourself or building a career for yourself. That's very different to four hours a day playing a game where you may be having to make microtransactions to play that game. And it's actually yeah. at your expense to be there for four hours, you know? Yeah, that's right. But I mean, you know, Dave, we all, we all moved over to this world, right? A world of zoom and teams and video conferencing and one of the things i do think about is is this it for the rest of our lives we're going to look at people through little boxes on a screen is that it is this what work is now boxes on screens uh, i you know i am excited about having a better experience being able to hang out with people which we do so we have meetings now where you can you know instead of showing up to work and you're just constantly moving from one set of calls to another, video calls to another, you enter the workplace, right? You can see who else is in and who's at their desks. You can walk over to them. You can say, do you want to pop in here into the conference room? Do you want to go for a virtual coffee? You know, I'm at home and I'm going to grab a coffee in my kitchen, but bring it in and have a virtual coffee with somebody else sitting on what looks like a couch and we're chatting, right? And so you have that expression and that sense of presence and if you think about you know what that could look like in terms of the school or college you know what we can do with with healthcare, um, what government services can look like if you want to go and you know do your interview for you know immigration um you know you could maybe do it through this mechanism without having to travel to offices still see a, you know an officer or whatever it might be and, and go through those government services so 
I look forward, I mean, enterprise is really going to be, I think, the place where we experience it most. Most of us won't be playing games, or a lot of us. <laughs> you know, the younger generation are all there, but a lot of people who didn't grow up with gaming will find that this is happening around them through work. Um, because work, the workplace will move to this. It can be a lot of fun. It can be great for recruitment and training and development and onboarding and meetings. Um, and it's effective. Um, so that's why I think, you know, it's going to be fun and interesting and exciting to explore all of that today. One thing that I've been thinking about as well is, you know, when we when you spoke about web 1.0 and web 2.0 a lot of how that was monetized was based off of user data um so as we kind of get into this realm of digital twins um could we see opportunities for people to actually then also monetize their digital twins more because like i feel like web 1.0 and web 2.0 the financial benefits overwhelmingly went to companies rather than the users. Again, is this an opportunity for uh, for folks to also not only kind of find opportunities to uh, work and play and connect in the metaverse, but also find financial benefits from the metaverse themselves? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one of the promises here. A lot of metaverse worlds are built with the blockchain as the underpinning platform and that allows that to happen so the the actual rules of the world are set that the rewards the fees the um, transactions that are going on can be paid back to the community so if you think about a digital twin today you're giving your data up and typically the platform company is taking that data and monetizing it it's reselling it Imagine a world where instead there is no platform company. There's nobody to take to take the money. So the community is set up, the transactions that are going on, if the data in, can be used by somebody else and somebody else wants to monetize it, you get paid. The money flows back to the users because why? There's nowhere else to put it. There's no company behind this. Now, that's a radically different idea, but we're seeing that. Um, you know, instead of it like zero to the user and 100% to the company, it could be that the platform, you know, the blockchain platform, the, the metaverse world keeps 10, 20% just to cover some costs and 80% goes back to the users. That reverses how business is done today around data and data monetization. And it provides wealth opportunities for individuals to participate in this um, economy. And if you're creating assets, Additionally, you have an even greater chance of making money um, and, and being able to monetize these worlds because the money flows directly to you without the intermediaries. And that's a very powerful idea. Now, that's going to take some time to go mainstream, but we definitely have examples of that already happening today. Um, and so, you know, you'll, you'll see the music community very interested in IP and how they can monetize their own IP directly without having tons of intermediaries and everybody taking a cut along the way if they can get 80 percent of the revenue from people listening to their music instead of maybe three to three to five percent and they're very interested in it so radically different ways business models um and i think it's potentially much more democratic now as with everything as with everything there's upsides and downsides um that's all possible but it can also be corrupted and people can use these things to their own advantage and set up worlds without those rules um, and get, get around them. And all sorts of things go on um, as people experiment with these things. But in theory, that's all possible and we are seeing it. You know, you've, you've mentioned uh, that folks could set up uh, experiences without these kind of rules and, and systems in place. And, I think we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the need to to invest and create good spaces and ecosystems. Like, w what does the future look like if we don't invest in making sure that there's safety and accountability within the metaverse? Like, is is the metaverse kind of then almost like the uh, become like the dark web where many people know about it but not necessarily yeah. engage with it, or is it? Is it something that just kind of, uh, it, it becomes like a lost cause? 
Yeah, I think, you know, promise or the hope is that we have an interoperable world with a set of standards that, you know, most people adhere to, which is safe and secure, pleasant. And to your point, we talked about this, you know, a place where trust exists. Um, if that doesn't happen, um, then there will be individual companies that will create their own metaverse worlds with those rules and they will become dominant um, because they set the rules. I believe that the community and the general masses, all of us, will want to be in a world that's safe and secure. So if somebody provides that, they'll win. Um, and so we will see walled gardens of companies who are controlling these worlds because they provide safety and security and trust. And they deserve to, because if, if they do it and they pull it off, um, then that's what's going to happen. We will vote with our feet and we will go we will go to those worlds. Um, but if we can keep it open and interoperable, then more organizations, more individuals, more communities can also participate in a trusted world. And that's why we're all working very hard to create an open, interoperable, trusted metaverse um, so that it doesn't become a wall garden for two or three big companies who, who end up owning the whole thing. Uh, I think that's the way that will play out. Dave. So that's why people are working so hard to try and keep it open. Excellent. So for looking to, you know, five to 10 years from now, what are your hopes and expectations? Like what does, what does like your uh, like uh, idealized version of the metaverse look like? Um, so yeah, my idealized version would be um, a place, uh, a place where we go, um, not all the time, but for parts of the time to do, to do experiences like work particularly in collaboration and creativity, hanging out with people, you know, wanting to have meetings where we can get products and services that are appropriate, as I say, government services or healthcare, education, where, you know, we're not tied to, to video conferencing as the only way to do hybrid work. Um, but that's done in a way, <clears throat> you know, that's safe and secure. Um, and that it allows opportunity for everybody to participate. You know, I... I I'm fortunate to see a lot of things. I see what travel can look like. You know, there's a lot of people in the world who cannot afford to get in a plane and go to Paris or Venice, um, but they can plug into the, the metaverse and become immersed in those worlds. And it almost feels like you're there. It's not the same as being there. You can't eat the pizza um, or you can't have the fantastic food, but you, um, it's almost like being there. Um, and I think that's great. I think, you know, again, for people who don't have access to top universities, to be able to sit in a classroom in a top university and sit there alongside everybody else, even if you're living in very modest means somewhere in the world. I think that's really powerful. That's exciting. I think having a creator economy where everybody can participate, where people can earn and own their assets and own digital assets. Um, and be part of the community that's actually earning and monetizing. I think that's really exciting. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think it's going to change how we live. I, I don't, I'm not someone who thinks we will spend all day, every day, locked in our rooms, in sitting in haptic suits, you know, under a headset. No, I don't believe that. I think this is an and, not an or, to how we live our lives. We love the real world. We love being out there. <laughs> We've seen that post-COVID. We love getting out. Um, we love being with each other, and I think that will continue. We're human beings, and we're social animals, and we're going to continue to do that. But I think this is a great addition, um, you know, to bring that sort of different experiences, different opportunities, and I'm excited about that, provided we do it the right way. I, I love that. I love the idea that this is it, this is something to really enhance life rather than to replace life. I love this. Um, and it, it sounds so exciting. And I imagine there may be somebody that's listening to this now that's getting inspired um, and thinking, hey, like, I want to I want to learn more about this space. I want to get involved in this space. I, I want to get active in this space. Do you have any advice for any of those that may be listening right now on steps that they could take to um, to jump in and uh, find a role for themselves in this emerging space? Yeah, look, I think it is an exciting opportunity and it's something that I think people need to, to learn more about. So I, I'd encourage people, if you haven't got an avatar, maybe 
go get one. You know, um, there's a lot of games out there and find a teenager and they'll show you your way into one of these metaverse games and maybe just go in and have a look around, try it out um, and just experiment. Think as well about what this could mean to have a 3D world in the workplace for your colleagues, for meetings, for co-creation, for your suppliers. If you think about how to you know, manage the supply chain and be able to have visibility across that, but importantly as well for your customers. You know, the next generation is moving to this world and the opportunities and experiences that they're looking for will, will look like this. So what could that look like? And maybe you could think about opportunities there and look at some of the bigger companies and what they're doing. I think there's a lot to be learned from the early movers. So it's a time for education and experimentation, but also time for caution. You know, don't do something that you don't understand. There's plenty of bad actors in these worlds. Um, so it's important that, you know, you don't go too far, too fast, believe too much of the hype um, and take a, you know, an appropriately cautious but interested view in this disruption that's happening. I, lo I love that. It's it's all about, yes, there's a, a great opportunity here, but a healthy sense of cautious optimism um, yeah. is is appropriate here. I love this. Uh, great advice. And Edwina, I just, I can't thank you enough for taking out the time. I, I found this truly fascinating. I feel like that you could talk about this topic for hours on end. Um, your enthusiasm is is very infectious uh, on this topic. So I uh, thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for taking out the time today. Great to be with you, Dave. Happy to chat about it anytime. If you have an idea for a guest on a future episode of the Digital Irish Podcast, please email hello at digitalirish.com. Here's a preview of our next episode. What's really exciting as well um, is the growth of the solopreneur market. There's more and more people kind of starting businesses by themselves and have the intention of leading it by themselves as well. So like even in Entrepreneur Magazine, they say that the population of solopreneurs jumped 22% between 2019 and 2020. And it's expected to grow by 42% in the next six years. So there's a huge amount of people kind of striking out on their own now as well. And I think it's important that we kind of give them what they need as well. Thank you as always for listening. Please do share this podcast if you found it interesting. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.